0: Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, managing editor and publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. How are you doing today?
1: Well, Grant, it's still winter, it's still cold and a little bit miserable in both Sydney where I am and Melbourne where you and our guest are today. However, there's lots going on in packaging and let's get the show on the road. So today, very excited, we're going to be talking about life cycle analysis with Tim Grant. Now, Tim is the director and founder of Life Cycles, Australia's provider of circular economy and sustainability research and consulting services, among other things. Tim has been instrumental in the development of data and leading-edge scientific support for supply chain sustainability tools. He has contributed to a number of books, including being the co-author of Life Cycle Assessment, Principles, Practice and Prospects, which has been published by CSIRO. Tim was the founding president and long-time board member and contributor to the Australian Life Cycle Assessment Society and is chair of the Ecosystem Services Task Force within the UN Um, supported Life Cycle Initiative. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lindy. Yeah, Tim comes with lots of experience and he has just come back from Copenhagen, Tim, where you've been working on GLAM, a Life Cycle Initiative hosted by the UN Environment Programme. So, tell us, what is GLAM and why is this so important as a development for sustainability?
0: Yeah, GLAM is a collaboration between all of the um, best life cycle practitioners and um, environmental scientists working together to really uh, bring together the impact assessment part of life cycle assessment. So life cycle assessment really has this process of examining production and consumption across the entire life cycle. Uh, and brings them together into indicators of um, benefit or impact and damage. And so we're very familiar with things like climate change as an endpoint indicator for uh, environmental assessment. But actually, um, LCA has a much more holistic view across a wide range of indicators, including things like biodiversity, water scarcity, um, pollution and particulate matter, say, uh, in the air. Um, and so this group really works to make sure that we have a the most fully encompassing group of indicators. And the reason we do that is we don't want to optimise one part of uh, the environment or the economy uh, and then push an impact into another part. So we're that trying to avoid displacing impacts from one place to another and actually lead to an overall improvement in all aspects of environmental health and uh, and sustainability.
1: So, Glam, I assume the G is for global?
0: The G is for global life cycle assessment methods, and uh, there's a there's a, a sister project called GLAD, um, which is about data, and you can guess what that one stands for. So GLAD and GLAM, were like uh, yeah, two um, two sister projects under the UN banner.
1: Nothing at all to do with glamping, which is what I like to be, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. So look, that does sound like a uh, very important uh, work, in t- especially in terms of the standardization and harmonization. Um, I think maybe it would be helpful uh, to our listeners just to take a little step back and say, life cycle analysis, or LCA as we've known and spoken about it, that it kind of came into Popular use about 20 years ago. Is that am I correct, Tim?
0: It certainly got a lot more popular in the 90s. Um, it sort of started in the 70s and was really formalised in the 1990s when it became part of the international standards process under the environmental management banner. Uh, and would say is uh, you know now these days becoming a, a sort of compulsory thing that you know you need if you're going to bring an environmental product to market. Uh, if you don't have a life cycle assessment associated with that, um, you really are risking um, the ire of the A C or at least of the um, of your you know purchasing community and uh, uh, alike.
1: So when the A recently clamped down on greenwashing and said they're going to be taking much closer scrutiny at brands and their claims, did you have an upsurge in interest in, from people or from companies rather? Or wanting to take a closer look via a life cycle analysis?
0: We've started to see a more mature um, approach to to, uh, to LCA where maybe in the past people wanted to do something, you know, quick and simple and they thought, you know, maybe we could get a student to do a project. I mean, then we can go to and make a claim in the public domain. And now they sort of understand, okay, this is a bit like you know, declarations to the marketplace under, um, you know, so any claim things really need to actually have professionals behind it uh, producing, um, you know, scientific work and it needs to be third-party reviewed to ensure, particularly if you're taking a claim to the market of uh, environmental superiority, that the, I suppose, the, the infrastructure and things around that are now people expect it to be more rigorous than maybe it was in the past, where they thought it was okay to stick a dolphin on the side of a thing because, you know, you gave some money to Greenpeace and surely you all were all okay with this. So, you know, there has been a real um, maturing, I think, of the approach to it. Not a huge amount of expansion, uh, but that is, is certainly growing.
1: Now, another thing that you've recently been involved in, or you're just back from, is uh, sustainability in packaging Asia is that um, where you spoke about managing sustainability metrics in a circular economy. So what were the key takeouts or the key messages that you got across to the audience on that? Uh,
0: the messages there was that, um, that the industry really needs to have a, a medium to longer term view of environmental Uh, metrics and sustainability rather than um, maybe what happens at times we have more of a reactionary um, respond to you know there's pressure at the moment on uh, plastics ocean plastics and all of a sudden everyone wants to switch out of plastic and into uh, into a a fiber-based product or um, so what we want is, what we need is something that actually is going to sustain uh, the industry and industry planning and industry investment and also the consumer journey over the next, you know, 10, 15 years. And we, and packaging companies will need to, I think, um, bring their uh, customers along with them because sometimes, you know, if these short-term reactions uh, might placate The market for for a small period of time, but then you know, in a year's time, we'll have uh, um, some news media come out about clearing of uh, rainforests in um, the Amazon or Southeast Asia to feed paper fibre supply. That has all come about because of this, uh, you know, rapid shifts out of plastic products into uh, lower performing products. And um, so, what we really want to do is have a broader view, and we want to look for. Solutions which uh, optimize across different environmental indicators uh, that push the boundaries. So you know, we really want don't just want the same old thing in a different material. We want to look at maybe having less material. Maybe where does the selective use of reusables fit in in a sensible way, uh, and things like that.
1: So, does your association or your sorry your organisation, your company that you work for, life cycles? Work in tandem with organisations like Appco that are creating some of the policy that is informing government policy.
0: Uh, we work um, have I've been working in the packaging space for thirty years, and and so we developed some of the very early studies of um, life cycle assessments of curbside recycling, and really demonstrated that it was highly valuable, despite you know a lot of scepticism that has been around. Uh, and the difficulties that recycling markets have had at different times. Um, so, I wouldn't, I'd say you would certainly have had input to uh, the prequels to the um, packaging covenant uh, and, alike. and the like. And we don't have direct um, association with APCO. We have been a member uh, over the last few years. And I've, um, yeah, so we, we have an input there. And really, we, for some of the, um, more ambitious members of the Australian packaging community utilise uh, our tool PK, which is a a quick lifecycle assessment tool to enable packaging designers to be able to undertake lifecycle assessments themselves. Uh, So, we certainly have an influence in that branch as
1: well. Yeah. So, let's talk about PK. Uh, PK stands for Packaging Impact Quick Evaluation Tool. And the quick bit is what's attractive to many people, isn't it? And it's a slightly lower cost Pro, um, prospect,
0: am I right? Yeah, it's certainly, um, it's framed in sort of packaging language and so it automatically sort of, you know, it's not in LCA language. Uh, uh, it is more accessible. You can get it for a month and come on and do an assessment of a, you know, a couple of products and then go away and get on with uh, with the rest of your your work. Uh, so we've tried to really make it something that is um available to people to step in and out of when they need it. Um, And it provides um, all the data um, for logistics, packaging materials, manufacturing, end of life, what happens with reuse, what happens with recycled content, and ability to really evaluate uh, all those different competing environmental strategies, uh, which which in and of themselves you know, all make sense, but sometimes they sort of push against one another and how do you choose which strategy is the most applicable in in different circumstances? So PK really enables people to look at complex systems and be able to evaluate the value of different strategies uh, within packaging um, design. And that's all all the way from sort of retail and sub-retail pack right up to uh, transport and logistics packaging.
1: So is that a more commonly used tool, as opposed to someone venturing on the full life cycle analysis program?
0: Absolutely, and it gets to the people who have decision making power. That's the real value of these tools. Is the people who are actually designing, uh, or making recommendations of what materials to use, and you know what the strategy is going to be. They're not the sort of people who do detailed life cycle assessment work and packaging. You know, there are packages so many, so many variants of packaging uh, that the design process is very quick. Um, it's not necessarily a, you know, a design process that goes over five or 10 years, like when you're designing, you know, big pieces of infrastructure things. So it's quite a, uh, it needs something that's sort of agile. And so it connects really well to the um, people who have that packaging expertise, but just gives them insights into the lifecycle dynamics of their packaging and product systems.
1: Now, obviously, a big talking point in the in the last month or so has been government's decision to step in and legislate our packaging industry, when for so long we tried to be voluntary around it all. Um, so this means no more free riders, Tim. What do you think of of the mandates and legislation that's proposed? obviously we don't know exactly what those rules are going to look like, but the the concept of it
0: yeah look I really um I appreciate the need for um, regulation in this area, and I think you know in the early days when you're trying to get people involved and no one knows what it looks like, then the voluntary process brings people along without being too threatening um, but now that uh, many people are involved and Yet there, you know, it's hard to have a fair um, marketplace if not everyone is following the same rules. So I think regulating those rules makes a lot of sense. Um, I, as you say, we don't yet know the exact form of what that that regulation will look like. Um, I hope it's a a little bit more um, maybe performance based um, than the sort of voluntary targets have been. Uh, I think the The being overly strict about things being sort of labelling things as being good and bad, so, you know, something's renewable, not renewable, um, recyclable, not recyclable, these things are are good but you don't want to like be, um, you want to allow flexibility for packages that can have lower environmental impacts still to participate in the market and not have it based on, you know, sort of random criteria.
1: Well, sometimes that packaging makes the product have the lower environmental impact overall just by virtue of it keeping an extended shelf life for the food product or um, keeping the product integrity because if you think of all the life cycle costs that go into making the product in the first place, the packaging may have less impact overall.
0: Absolutely, and I think, you know, we have to keep packaging focused on uh, its role with the product um, and making sure that we don't compromise uh, the product delivery or the product service uh, in the aim of, um, you know, optimising the packaging in isolation. So um, having said that, you know, I think that that, uh, there is having stronger uh, incentives in that whole process to really try hard, um, try harder than people have um, to make packaging uh, a little bit more standardised, um, to have, you know, be, have appropriate pathways for end of life management, um, but also uh, appropriate um, innovations in the actual design of the packaging to reduce the overall uh, materials and impacts um, during the production side uh, is is a really good thing.
1: You have done a lot of work in the global realm, and you must now have a, some kind of indication as to where, how Australia is faring or comparing when it comes to being on track for sustainability and circular economy. How Give me your sense of it.
0: Yeah, I think the, um, yeah, recently sort of, you know, spent a bit of time in Europe in the US and in Australia. And I think Australia is sort of middle field, was certainly, um, you know, there's nothing I saw in the US that makes me think that they're any further ahead. Um, if anything, you know, things are a little bit more difficult there. Um, here, you do get a sense that there is a community of people who, you know, we're at a sort of size and scale that's sort of manageable to make some decisions together. Um, And then in the European context and maybe in the Asian context, you see uh, some... Maybe the conversation's a little bit further down the track. I don't actually see that much action and, you know, radical change on the ground uh, in terms of the, you know, types of packaging, types of designs, types of systems being implemented um, compared to what we're dealing with here, which is a little um, disconcerting because I, I would think to, you know, you'd like to get off the plane um uh, in a new place and be really challenged. And go, wow! Everything is done really differently here, and you, you know, you're not foisted on with a, a bag and a box and a thing that you didn't ask for when you all you wanted was a baguette or you know whatever it is you're getting. Um, I think that level of change hasn't uh, necessarily happened, but the conversation's a bit further. Um, but it always is a you know it's a difficult uh, collaboration between regulators, uh, the industry and the community as to how you advance that um, over time. So, lots to do.
1: I'm going to pick up on that word collaboration there because one of the things that I'm finding quite interesting now is seeing how many of the big packaging converters and the big brands are getting together on a collaborative basis to develop a thing that may or may not actually have any future, like a paper bottle for example, Um, but they're getting involved with companies like the dry-molded fiber company Poolpack. We've got big brands there. We've got um, a whole bunch of people working with Paboco, the paper bottle company, uh, to develop that absolute paper bottle and paper bottles for Unilever and Procter & Gamble for their products. Um, So do you see that as a, a big part of the future of packaging design and development, where Brand owners and packaging converters, with with the ability to invest and scale, do this kind of forward thinking development.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely do. And I think it'll um, uh, it's sort of an interesting time because I I think it's leading to a lot of innovation. Uh, it's leading down a number of paths. Some which you look at and you're like, well, I don't know how that's going to work. And then sometimes it surprises you. You know, you can. Uh, one thing that's great about being an, an LCA practitioner is that constantly surprised with things that I think are going to go one way and then you analyse it and, you know, it's, things have shifted the other way. We've got a, a decarbonizing economy, which will change the scale of, uh, uh, you know, what's high and low impact in different situations. Uh, we have... Um, Recent sort of increases in all the emissions of plastics associated from methane emissions in the fields of China and Russia that weren't counted before, so constantly we've got this sort of shifting picture. Um, so yeah, I think, but I think that collaboration really also then needs to sort of include uh, the consumer and the sort of end of you know, how do you incorporate the end of life, and how do those industries take that um, broader sort of product stewardship view, and actually, you know, they don't have to run uh, waste collections and material recovery facilities, but they should definitely have a uh, a very close collaboration with how end of life will be managed, um, and how can they start to do that together? This tendency to, you know, some of the leading brands were sending things back through the post to individual, and it's all very narrow channels of activity to try and create the circular economy um and that's just a really inefficient way to do it we sort of the global supply economy operates on senses of scale and and you know collaboration but it seems at the end of life happens in this really very um yeah inefficient sort of way so i think that collaboration certainly needs to happen uh, further down the supply chain um and uh, across different brands and different sectors even.
1: Well, we're certainly seeing some success stories here as well with the um, PET recycling that we're having where Circular Plastics Australia has collab- got this collaboration going with PACT Group, the Converter, Clean Away, the waste management company, Asahi and Coca-Cola Euro Pacific partners, the end users of the packaging, um, brand owners who are collaborating even across a competitive barrier. So yes, there are good examples of it. So let's hopefully that a little bit more of that will come to pass. Now, another thing that you spoke of earlier was the balance between getting it right with one material versus another. So let's not displace one environmental disaster for another. We've got Plastic waste in the ocean, but does that necessarily mean we should have the fibre-based frenzy that we're currently experiencing, where there's so many people shifting either out of plastic into paper and to a lesser extent out of plastic into glass? Um, What's your comment on that?
0: Yeah, I think um, there's two things you sort of look at in in the you know looking at the life cycle of products. Um, One is there's the straight up what do they look like now. Um, and which is the best product and so when we look across different product segments we see um, some of the you know higher tech you know multi-layer plastic films and pouches and things uh, do an amazing amount of uh, packaging performance with a very small amount of material they've got great barrier properties Um, you know they are incredibly, but but they are, you know, because of the nature of their design, they are very difficult to deal with at end of life. And so I can see that there's that that complexity. Um, And then there's how packaging systems might evolve Um, and so you know what does the uh, what does the future look like are you investing in a packaging format which is going to have a have uh, a strong future because that's maybe in early days and and we'll work out ways to either deal with the end of life or to um, you know support that that packaging format so I'm very skeptical with this you know, the of what's a fairly lazy decision to you know throw away a plastic straw and put in a paper straw, uh, without um, you know maybe looking at how you actually redesign that process of uh, um, you know what what a straw does and where it's actually required and those that sort of thing. So, I think we want more, and I think if people want to do that, that's great. But that shouldn't abrogate their responsibility to actually design a better package so the pressure you know if you if you do that okay you've gone from a you know from a one to a two You're no, you're not a five if we're going to rank these things so you know small improvements but maybe a lot of effort for a very small improvement that then we're starting to see and I'm getting sort of messages back from different uh um, parts of the industry and government uh that now they're starting to really notice some of these fiber-based products, you know, sitting in litter streams and they look just as ugly. Uh, And, you know, the, the level of damage to um, uh, animals may be lessened, but actually, you know, I think if uh, uh, it's not a solution just to make sure all the litter is, is uh, paper-based when it, when it gets littered, we really need to solve that litter equation. And there are many other aspects to what that looks like. Um, uh, But also it as all of this goes on, um, you know, the, the looming threat of climate change really has to be at the top of our agenda um, in relation to yeah, product delivery, uh, efficient products, products that can have a lower carbon footprint um, both now and going into the future.
1: Do you think that people are still head in the sand when it comes to the impact of their products when you look big picture at climate change?
0: Uh, I think it's people really want are trying to work it out and they're trying to find a solution. Um, and there's just, um, I think the messaging that's been coming through is a little opaque. Um, we're sort of, sometimes we gravitate to the easy message, you know, the easy sell uh, with an item without communicating the complexity. And so, um you know, if we say the problem is, I think what people have conceptualised in their pushback against disposable single-use plastics is their frustration with a consumerist society. Uh, and so people are frustrated with a consumerist society and plastics is, you know, number one representation of uh, of problem. Um, but replacing that consumerist, plastic consumer materials with non-plastic consumer materials actually isn't what People wanted, but it's sort of like it's been uh, the easy sell when we go to. Rather than saying um, I want cleverer, smarter products, and I want to, we want to lower the footprint of things. They've said, "Oh, and by the way, here, look what it does to birds and whales and turtles." And so people have gone and dealt with the birds and whales and turtles without sort of stepping back, and thinking, "No, it's the con- it's the consumption impacts overall that people are reacting against and wanting." Better solutions, and 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 when I say people, are, people are it's people, companies, and governments are all uh, both guilty of oversimplifying and also trying uh, in their way to find solutions.
1: In terms of presenting your solutions to the market, obviously conversations like this help do that. But I believe you're also going to be exhibiting at Apex in March next year.
0: Yes, certainly um, uh, we'll be there Um, and uh, yeah, we're really keen to connect with um, people who are really small and medium-sized companies that are hungry to understand their environmental impacts better than they do now uh, and maybe apply some routine life cycle scans on what they're doing so that they can actually, you know, maybe choose that door number three, door number four rather than just, you know. Going, choosing between door number one and door number two.
1: So if you were to give a message now as we wrap up this podcast, Tim, about lifecycle analysis and overall sustainability to the listeners, what are the key things you'd like to say?
0: Think medium term. Don't think short-term solutions to these problems. Uh, go try and bring your customer base and the government and and the and your company, along with you, on a more compl- on a slightly more nuanced journey, we might say, rather than um, than a simple one. And um, yeah, look across. Don't just you know um, optimize for climate, but look at other impact areas uh, within the um, environmental metrics to ensure that we don't just move our climate problem into a biodiversity problem or into a water problem or something like that.
1: Well, Tim, thanks very much. You've enlightened me on many aspects of life cycle today and hopefully our audience too. And I certainly look forward to catching up with you, if not before then, but certainly at Apex, where I'd like to understand a bit more and, and bring along some people who may be interested to hear more about life cycle analysis from you.
0: Definitely. Thanks very much, Lindy. It's really been uh, uh, nice to chat to you. Well, thanks, Tim. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from the show. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or The Guest's Employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au.
1: You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.
0: Southern Skies Media.